all by your amazing grace. Father, please bless this message. Bless everyone listening right now. Help us hear and concentrate with an open, humble heart. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your Spirit we pray. Amen. Okay, the Lord is our confidence, part 17. Let's start off this way. Um, part of God's love is that it's willing to tell us the truth, even in the face of potential rejection. Part of God's love is that it's willing to tell us the truth, even in the face of potential rejection. And therefore, that's also part of the shepherd's heart. The shepherd's heart is willing to do the same thing, including what came out on Sunday, which is to bring forth difficult teachings at times, which healthily challenges us to be responsible for our own spiritual lives. And that's kind of going to be a recurring theme tonight, is that the challenging things that we're given, whether it's through messages like this or uh, blogs, um, could be other ways in the future, could be at the Bible studies also, the challenging things that come forth are there to give us a healthy relationship, a healthy um, approach maybe, at learning things for ourselves, at having or being responsible for our own spiritual lives. It's very easy for us to get complacent and sit back and receive, almost passively. But we're not to be passive learners. We're to be active learners. But when you're the student sitting in the chair, right, and I know, like, I get, to, I get to experience both sides here at this church, teaching and sometimes sitting in the chairs. It's easy to, you know, fall into that, a complacent attitude, a passive attitude of receiving the word when we should be diligently or eagerly receiving the word and saying, what does this mean? Why is the Spirit bringing this forward right now? And personally applying it to our own lives, our own walks. Now, ultimately, the Spirit wants us to be responsible for our own spiritual lives, not to rely on the pastor to almost do everything for us or figure everything out, or just like we can't rely on him for our convictions, that's going to like fall to, you know what, when you go through your tests out there, it's going to give us no strength. So while we are challenged by the Spirit quite a bit on difficult messages, that might bring discomfort to us as the sheep. But we must remember this is done out of love. Love from God, love from your shepherd. It's done out of the desire to see one's children grow up and stand on their own two feet. Now, when you were a kid and you, you know, learned to ride a bicycle, right? And you had training wheels on. You know, for some of us, it was like four years old. For some of us, we had them on 10 years old, 12 years old. Right, Kathy? 12 years old? Yeah. Kathy didn't want, <laughs> sorry, her mom to let go of the bike. You know, you know, your daddy and mom holds the back of the bike, right, when the wheels come off? Nobody likes that feeling. And that's kind of what we can get into as passive learners, as children that rely on our pastor too much instead of being active and saying, you know what, God wants me to stand on my own two feet because when I face certain things out there, 
I'm facing them alone many times, without a choice, alone with God. And if we can't stand spiritually on our own two feet, we're going to be um, at a loss and fail many tests that we don't have to fail. And that's why the Spirit, in a way, is being hard on us, um, out of love. He's saying, I'm not going to make this plain as day, you know. I'm going to make you think about this and uh, go home and consider it, etc. So, it is out of love that these things are brought to us. But because of immaturity, casualties can and do result. Because of immaturity in us, as the sheep, casualties can and do result. But it's actually just part of the sanctification process. So let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 12, 14 again. Go to 2 Corinthians 12, 14. So even when we, when we understand and accept that difficult lessons are given to us out of love, well, that's good if we, in general, but we still, we still fail. We still fail from time to time and get a little bit bratty or a little bit selfish or a little bit immature and react. And thank God he's got it all figured out. And it's, it is part of our sanctification process. No child grows up overnight. It's just how it is. So 2 Corinthians 12, 14. Here for this third time, I am ready to come to you and I will not be a burden to you. For I do not seek what is yours, but you. Notice that. Paul says, I do not seek what is yours, as you might think, in other words, but I seek you. I want you, your growth, etc. For children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? So this is what Paul was facing with the Corinthian church. They were a young church. They were new believers. Um, it wasn't that many years since Paul's missionary journey to when he wrote them this letter. So they had to grow up. And part of that is being immature and loving someone less, even when they're trying to do their best for you. So part of being expended for your souls, as is stated here, is telling the truth at difficult times. And that can be perceived, the key word is perceived, by the sheep as unloving. Kind of like an immature teenager might do. But a good parent often reveals his love by challenging his children. And it's perceived as unloving. And this is what God our Father does for all of us out of love, as he gives us things in life that aren't that easy to handle. Amen? Sometimes you're given things in life <laughs> that just are not easy to handle. And you might even be surprised, where did that come from? Or why am I in this situation? Could be health, finances, relationships, etc., right? Who knows? But things, life's just not easy. In fact, it's very difficult at times. So why, if God loves us so much, which he loves us beyond what words can describe, if he loves us so much, why doesn't he just make life a piece of cake? Why doesn't he just 
quote-unquote fix everything? Why doesn't he clear our path like he promises many times in the Word to clear our path, to, you know, rescue us from any dangers, etc., etc.? Why is life not always easy? Well, one reason is that God knows our fleshly tendencies. He knows our fleshly tendencies. What would you do if your life was a piece of cake every day? Who would you serve might be the better question. If your life was peachy keen every day, I'm going to run out of analogies. If your life was perfect, who would you be serving? Who would you be following? I know I wouldn't be following God. I need the suffering. I need the thorns. And he knows we need the thorns to stimulate us to turn to him. Our good father knows that it's only when things aren't easy that it makes us draw nearer to him for answers. Or maybe we can say it's especially when things aren't easy that it makes us draw nearer to him for answers. If we're honest, that's the reality of the situation. God knows our fleshly tendencies. And there are other reasons for suffering and testing. We know, you know, in the Bible there are several we could point out, but right now God's pointing to our flesh and saying, if I gave you everything right now, you'd be a spoiled brat. You wouldn't seek me, and I'm a jealous God. I created you. I gave you life. I'm not just going to let you run away and, you know, bleep it away, as they say. It's okay. You can laugh. You know what word I was going to use? Uh... So, like, difficult things, difficult lessons, they stimulate growth in us. And the potential for greater love between a father and a son, the potential for a closer relationship, the, the greater potential for surrender, right? When you get on your knees. Well, there's a good thing that comes out of that after that painful process. And the good shepherd follows in God's example not wanting to enable his children by always spoon-feeding them. This came up on Sunday. Instead, the good shepherd is willing to do whatever is necessary to help his sheep grow. We were basically challenged on Sunday, how I look at it, how I, how I took Sunday's lesson, we were challenged to be like the Bereans, who didn't settle for their pastor's messages as the final word in their souls. Just think about that. They didn't settle for their pastor's messages as the final word in their souls. So we're back to this is very personal. This is very, um, uh, should be challenging to each of our own souls. What we receive, how we receive it, what we decide uh, is going to be our own convictions. In other words, while the Bereans humbly listened to the Apostle Paul, as we'll see in a moment. They did humbly listen to the messages, but they also knew they had to be wise as serpents and meek as doves. So they went to the Word themselves after the messages to make sure these things were in accordance with the Word of God, to make sure they weren't listening to a false prophet or someone who wasn't filled with the Spirit or someone who had a bad day even. They went to the Word themselves to make sure the things they were taught were in accordance with God's Word. 
So go to Acts 17, verse 10. We're going to take a look at this uh, wonderful group of people, this wonderful example. Acts 17, verse 10. The Bereans were eager to grow and also to protect their souls by examining the scriptures with their own eyes and coming to their own conclusions about the truth. And that's just another a good example of what wisdom looks like. Here we see wisdom in action. Acts 17, verse 10. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. For they received the word with great eagerness. Notice their intent to learn. Their hearts were eager. They received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. So our pastor is pushing us, like a good father, to be like these noble-minded believers. What a compliment. These were noble-minded believers. So in, in your own soul, let's not look for uh, watered-down milk to appease us and then go away living our own life and end, end up being out there spiritually emaciated when we have a, a test to go through or a course to run. And here you are with no energy, no nutrients unable to handle what life brings outside the church doors. Isn't that kind of like a travesty? Isn't that kind of the whole point? That we're here to be trained so that when we go out there and we face tests like we read about in the Bible, that some of the men of God went through, Old and New Testament, that we pass those tests? Isn't that what it's all about? Of course it is. So how are we going to do that if we're passive? Or if we just want a watered-down message that tickles our ears and so we can go out there and live our own lives again. And this is, these are very subtle things, and that's why I said at the beginning of this statement, in your own souls, you can say you don't want that. You know, you can say you're in agreement with the church that that's not what you want, but in your own soul, are you wanting to have your ears tickled? Are you wanting to just hear something easy so you feel better and you can go live your own life? That's between you and the Lord, and that's a heart test as we're going to get to later. So instead of being like that, God wants us to be spiritual warriors who can stand firm in the faith when attacked by demonic forces at times out in the world. There might be people with faces on it, like human faces on it, but they may very well be possessed or at least influenced by demons. And you will be tested, you will be attacked unfairly, and how you respond is going to determine the glory that you bring to God or not. So are we going to look at like this training as a way to become a spiritual warrior? Those who are willing to defend the weak at a potential loss to themselves. What about when you get in that situation? If life's all about others, you're going to be faced with the opportunity to defend others when they're weak at a loss to yourself. 
Are you going to accept that call when it comes? Not if you're spiritually emaciated, you're not. Not if you don't have confidence in God, you're not. How about being someone that's actually a good soldier for Christ in your actions and not just your words? That only comes by active learning. That only comes by, uh, as the Bereans said, they received the word with great eagerness. And they examined the scriptures to see if these things were so. How will this come about in our lives if we don't come to our own conclusions about what God's word means to us? How will we be good soldiers for Christ if we're not challenged to think for ourselves and look things up and see them with our own eyes? As the Bereans were determined to do. Are you determined to live your spiritual life that way? In other words, have you made a decision to maybe forsake the way you've been living your spiritual life? Are you now determined to be an active learner, I guess we might say? On the board. Oh, no on the board tonight. Sorry. I'm going to read you a couple of translations for Acts 17:11. Just listen carefully. Uh, from the American Standard Version, and you can follow along in, in your Bible if you want in verse 11, but you'll see the difference in the translation. In the American Standard Version, it says, Now these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, examining the Scriptures daily, whether these things were so. And in the Amplified, in verse 11, it says, Now these Jews were better disposed and more noble than those in Thessalonica, for they were entirely ready and accepted and welcomed the message concerning the attainment through Christ of eternal salvation in the kingdom of God with inclination of mind and eagerness, searching and examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Have we not been taught recently to read our Bibles with an intent to learn? This sounds like the Bereans to me. Are we not meant to enjoy the, the journey of discovery of God's treasures for ourselves, like between us and Him alone, that God wants to reveal things to us, to open our eyes to certain things? We all need our eyes open somewhat differently because we all have different hindrances in our flesh. And we know how personal God can be, right? So personal. Isn't that the objective? Are we not meant to enjoy the journey of discovering God's treasures for ourselves? One-on-one. -on -one. But that takes alone time. That takes examining the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. And it's then that we get personally rewarded by God for seeking his wisdom. And that's irreplaceable but it's not going to happen if we're passive. So we can rightly conclude a faithful shepherd would be doing us a disservice if he made everything too palatable and didn't challenge us to examine the scriptures ourselves. The same Apostle Paul who visited the Bereans is the same Apostle Paul of whom Peter commented on his teaching. And how did Peter describe Paul's teaching? Turn to 2 Peter 3.14. 2 Peter 3.14. How did Peter describe Paul's teachings? This is interesting in light of Sunday's emphasis from the Spirit. 
about difficult messages. 2 Peter 3.14 Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Just stop there for a second. Be diligent. Is that active or passive? Clearly active, right? You, you, you are told, we are told as believers to do, to do life this way, to live the spiritual life this way, to be diligent. And verse 15, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. Notice some things Paul wrote were hard to understand, and Peter, the apostle, was saying this. Maybe that's a good thing. We're going to get to a little bit more of that later. But here we see in verse 16, the untaught will distort, out of their laziness really, the word that is offered to build up their faith. They don't meet the challenge to be a Berean. Instead, they turn away from it. See, like when you're, when you're given a tough message, okay, just think visually like as, an, as a physical example, okay? When you hear a tough word, let's say even from a friend, you hear a tough word from a friend. You can either stare them in the eyes and receive it with some humility, or what can you do? You can turn away if you want. You can turn a blind eye, you can turn a deaf ear if you want to what they're trying to say to you because you, quote, unquote, can't handle it. The truth is you're not willing to handle it. You're not willing to be maybe corrected as the Spirit wants to do. So we have that choice to either meet the challenge, like face-to-face -face, when the Spirit challenges us, or to turn away and give in to our weakness, so to speak. The result is their own destruction, as it says at the end of verse 16 from their own distortion of the word. That's kind of someone that accepts the watered-down version that is happy with having their ears tickled and satisfied with that. It's going to end up leading to destruction because they're not going to be prepared to handle the tests. So in other words, each of us must choose what we do with what we're given by the Spirit. We have to ask ourselves, as we saw um, in verse 11 of Acts 17, don't, you don't have to go there, but we saw that they received the word with great eagerness. Are we eager to learn? That's a good question because the flesh is lazy. Are we eager to learn? We must choose how we receive God's grace provisions, even if things are hard to understand at first. The Spirit is telling us to diligently seek the truth to examine the scriptures ourselves if we want to be set free in our own souls and have our confidence be sky high in the Lord. Like, no doubts. Isn't it great when you have those days where you have such confidence in the Lord that you're even blown away by it? You, you, you're amazed at the faith of the, at that moment, on the, in that day, that confidence you have. You feel invulnerable. And, and you are. Spiritually, you are. 
but we lapse, right? We fall back, obviously. To be set free in our own souls, we have to be diligent. To have true confidence. So maybe, just maybe, as our dear pastor said on Sunday, it's by design that teachings are challenging. Maybe the Spirit has meant our lessons to be difficult for us at times. And as the Spirit plainly stated on Sunday, it's a test. It's a test to be a little confused about the teachings that he puts forth. What's the test? It's a test of our faith and our desire to know God. It's a test to see if the heart of man is willing to seek him or not. Now I want you to think about Jesus for a minute. I mean, if you've been reading your Bibles, if you have, you'll agree with this. He often pushed away his disciples to see who really wanted to know him. We, we probably, you know, would have difficulty counting the times that he pushed away his disciples, challenging them with hard sayings, parables, to see who really wanted to know him. So if our Lord did that, how much more should an under-shepherd do that, right? In other words, that's a good way to determine who, who wants to know me, the Lord might say, and who really doesn't. It's a test. It's a test of the heart. As came out on Sunday, our part in our sanctification is to seek diligently. God will test us along the way to see where our heart lies. And we should desire that he test us, as David did. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 26, verse 2. Psalm 26, we'll start in verse 1, actually. God will test us along the way to see where our heart lies, and we should desire that he test us. That's what David wanted. David actually desired to be tested. Desired to have his heart tested. Now, why would you do that? Unless you feared God and you had confidence in God at the same time. Otherwise, you would not want him to test your heart. You would not ask him to test your heart because you know there's failure in there too. But you trust him. Because you fear him, and because you fear him, you have confidence in him. You know who he is. You know where God is at all times. We know where he stands. So we can be like David, who had this tremendous confidence in God, that God was for him, not against him, that God was merciful, not unsympathetic. So look at Psalm 26.1. This is by David. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. And I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. For your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. Are you willing to do that? If, if you're willing to do that, that might mean you have confidence in the Lord. And therefore fear of the Lord, right? They're really interchangeable. If you're not really willing to do that, honestly, in your own heart, if you're not willing to be asked or to ask God to test your heart, 
you probably lack fear of the Lord and also confidence in the Lord. So it's a good measuring stick. Uh, go to Psalm 139, verse 23. Psalm 139, verse 23. Again, we should desire that God test us as part of seeking diligently. That we even want to know where we're off so God can correct us. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, David writes, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. You can only say this if you know you have a good father, if you're confident that God is good and he's a good father. You can only say what David said if you have the fear of the Lord and the confidence in the Lord. So back to the idea of challenging lessons. As Pastor pointed out on Sunday, one of the biggest favors anyone can give you as a trainer is to give you just enough information to confound you for a time. That's true training. True training is difficult because it makes you exert yourself, which makes you get stronger. As we heard on Sunday, the teacher that really cares about you actually learning doesn't simply teach to the test. Instead, they teach you how to think on your own. And therefore, his students can pass the tests outside the doors of the classroom. What a concept. Isn't that what it's all about? What good is it if we can memorize scripture here just to please somebody or please our pastor or something where we're not actually receiving it in humility, where we're not actually applying it to ourselves and, and seeking diligently and asking God to test our hearts on the matter? What good is it? You're going to get all the right answers on the little test you get passed out, and then you're going to go out there and forget the answers, how they actually apply to real life. It's like an engineer learning math and whatever else he has to learn, right? Learning a lot of detailed concepts. And he knows what it says in the book, but when he goes out there, he can't build a bridge. Totally useless. Are we going to be that for the Lord? We will if we're passive learners. The ultimate goal for the children of God is to be fully equipped and ready to perform God's good work that he had set up for us from eternity past. Like Ephesians 2.10 says. Our job is to be able to use our equipment, the armor, the sword, right? In Ephesians 6. Our job is to know how to put it on and know how to use it. So when we face demons, we're not all uh, frazzled and running away. Turn to Ephesians 4 verse 11. Ephesians 4.11. The whole idea is we must realize we're here to get equipped, to be strong soldiers, not just to play the part. Ephesians 4.11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers 
for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, now pause here for a second. Remember what we read in 2 Peter chapter 3? who were untaught and unstable and they distorted doctrine. Here we see the opposite. Here we see someone well-equipped and trained uh, to be a mature man in verse 13. And in verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in craftiness and deceitful scheming. That's what's going to go on out there. This is all going to be part of our tests. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. As we know, what good is doing any of that out there if we're not doing it in love. So it's not a pastor's job to spoon feed his sheep. It's his job to push them to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Often challenging them with difficult messages. And one point that was emphasized on Sunday is that the true test lies with the disciple, not with the teacher. The true test lies with the disciple, not with the teacher. So just let's simplify this again. You're in a classroom. You're in a school. You're, at, you're in a classroom, and you have a teacher in that classroom. Who ends up taking the tests, the students or the teacher? Obviously the students. The true test lies with the disciple, not the teacher. So it's like the onus is on us, or the, even the purpose of being here is for our equipping as students to be able to go out. So how can we put all the pressure, so to speak, or all the responsibility on the teacher? That would be a wrong application to our own detriment. So we're here to learn so that when we're tested out in the world, we pass the test to the glory of God like Abraham, like David, like Job, like Paul, like John. We can go on and on and on. Go to uh, Philippians 2, verse 12. Philippians 2, 12. To further illustrate how the true test lies with the disciple, not with the teacher. Philippians 2, 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves, there's passing the test, folks, that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation 
among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. Paul saying, as your spiritual father, I want to see you pass the test. I want you to see, see you hold fast the word of life. I want to see you prove yourselves above reproach in a crooked, perverse generation. So regarding verse 14, instead of grumbling in your heart, be determined to be above reproach. Always having faith, there's a reason for everything in God's plan for you. Now that might sound kind of basic. Is that too basic for you? To always have faith, there's a reason for everything in God's plan for you? Isn't that the problem if you're grumbling and complaining? That you don't have faith that everything is for a purpose and a reason in your life? Including difficult teachings? So we've got to be careful to not act like immature teenagers. As also came out on Sunday, a, a kind of a major point is that we're naturally lazy in our flesh. So we have to be aware of that. We have to fight against that with a constant awareness of it. The flesh would rather be spoon-fed and not have to think on its own. The flesh wants to plop on the couch and eat bonbons all day, both physically and spiritually. That's what the flesh wants to do. And then we become fat and sick and useless to our Lord, who says, I have someone out there I want you to meet today, and you're not even listening. Right? You're so zoned in like a zombie on the TV with your bonbons, you're not even listening to the spirit who says, someone's actually at your door right now knocking, and I'm, I wanted you to give them the gospel, actually. The UPS guy? Who you say, ah, let him leave the package on the step. No, seriously, the spirit was trying to talk to you, but your flesh is so lazy that you're not listening. And it happens to us all at times. But the point that came on Sunday was, man's laziness likes to move the needle in the shepherd-sheep relationship. So the shepherd is demanded more of while the sheep increase in laziness. And we each have to ask ourselves, are we doing that? Is that our attitude? And that's why so many sheep prefer distilled secular proverbs over biblical ones that force them to think or even research the answers for themselves, force them to seek diligently. So picture this. I know it's hard. Picture this. You're lazy, and you want the scales in your life to be tipped in your favor. I mean, who doesn't, right? So when you think no one's looking, you put your big toe on the edge of the scale. And you're looking up like this, of course, right? Looking at the birds, trying to distract people from noticing your toes on the scale. You do it just enough to get a small advantage. Very subtle, right? At least you think so. You do it just enough to make it easier on your lazy self and put more pressure or burden on someone else, such as your pastor. Does that describe your heart? I know I'm guilty of that sometimes. That attitude, we're getting at the attitude of the heart. Like, what's, what's going on? What's going on inside? 
But a pastor who operates rightly in his fatherly role, he won't allow laziness to exist. He's not just going to ignore it and let it happen when he sees it. As a good parent, he challenges you to take your toe off the scale. He calls you out as a good parent because he has your good in mind, right? He doesn't have, he's not trying to agitate you or give you something you, you shouldn't be willing to bear. He's trying to help you. The challenge for the sheep is to not disdain him for that, like an immature teenager. That's the challenge for us as sheep, to not love him less, quote-unquote, because he doesn't let us get away with laziness. Doesn't it sound just like a teenager who doesn't want to do the chores around the house and wants, wants to do whatever he wants to do in the house? And the parent just won't allow that to happen for their own benefit. So if that's you, recognize it and make the decision to grow up and receive what true love looks like. Receive instruction, which the flesh hates, but the wise spirit in us knows that's good. We need it. Receive instruction because it comes from love. So, by the way, as we begin to close, did Jesus make it easy for the disciples to learn? This already came up earlier. Did Jesus make it easy for the disciples to learn? I would say not at all. Check out the end of John chapter 6, for example, when you go home. Did Jesus make it all obvious, or did he challenge his followers to think about his messages? even confound them for a time on purpose? You know the answer if you read the four Gospels. So again, 2 Corinthians 12, 15 said, if I love you more, am I to be loved less? Many people loved Jesus less for it. They even got upset with him. They walked away from him. They didn't follow him anymore because he actually challenged them to think. But he did it over and over and over. Must have a good reason. The faithful shepherd follows the spirit with a heart to help his children grow, just like the Lord did. And he doesn't and can't make his decisions on being well-liked. And thank God for that. We don't have a pastor that falls into that trap that shepherds can fall into. Uh, go to uh, 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Here we see Paul telling Timothy, this is your job if you're going to be a good shepherd. Here's your job. 2 Timothy 4, 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. The good shepherd challenges and stretches your mind. He wants to see you flourish in your personal journey with God. He wants to see your confidence soar in God, not in him, not in self, in God. And that's the shepherd's reward, as Paul was saying earlier. 
That's what he hoped to see in his children. The good shepherd wants to see you grow up and pass all the faith tests that get thrown your way and he'd be able to look on as a proud father would look on upon his son. So what we're talking about in this series, you know, the Lord being our confidence, what we're talking about is getting to a point where we rely on God alone for our confidence, for our security, where we rely on God alone, not even our crutches, not even other people, not even our pastor, getting to a point where we're so confident in God and His ability and His faithfulness and His mercy that nothing shakes us. So that if we face a Goliath out there, we, we actually face him with courage instead of running away and hiding. But that takes everything we've been talking about. Being diligent, seeking diligently. That takes all this if, you're gonna, if you want it for yourself, if you want to own the confidence God wants you to own. We're on a journey, each of us. And we each have the opportunity to pass our own tests. And here's the thing. No one, not even our good fathers, can do it for us. They might even want to do it for us, but they can't. We're now out there. And at times we get stuck on an island, so to speak, when no one else can help you pass the test except you and what your relationship with God where that's at, where your confidence is in him. Think of Sean right now in boot camp. I still can't believe he's in boot camp. I still can't believe he's grown up. He's already been trained up to become a good young man, and now only he can pass that test out there. As much as his father might want to be there to even at least encourage him, right? His father can't help him pass that test out there now. Now it's his to pass. It's his opportunity alone. And when you get in that situation, whatever that situation is, whatever your boot camp might be, are you relying on God alone? Do you have supreme confidence in God alone? Because that's what's going to do it or not do it. So I hope you see the point the Spirit is making. Diligently seek now in your own heart, like with your own proper attitude, your own, the way you view, the way you view Scripture, the way you view learning, as the Bereans did with great eagerness. Diligently seek now with your own heart so that you will be confident later on as you walk life with God. Uh, newsflash, we're not going to have Pastor Collins forever. We're not going to have this church forever. There's going to be a day when this is not here, we're not here. I don't know if it's a year from now or 40 years from now. I have no idea. Pastor, Pastor saying no, no 40 years. But we literally have no idea how long we're going to have this uh, equipping from our current pastor and in this place. Correct? What happens if, you know, everything goes over the cliff in our country? To the point where we even lose freedom to gather together like this. Are you ready to face that test? And the test as a Christian who's going to be persecuted? Maybe you're not. And maybe that's why we're, we're all still here. <laughs> we need to be equipped. 
better, more, but unless you diligently seek now, you're not going to be prepared later on. And the, 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 the big shame in it would be to not bring God glory, right? To not bring God glory when the test comes. Like Peter when he ran away. Uh, when he denied the Lord three times. And he ran away and wept bitterly. He obviously failed that test. But by the grace of God, he came back strong. But what if he passed that test? I don't know. I mean, obviously, we want to avoid failing that test, whatever version of it we get. And now's the time to get equipped. So the race is each of ours to run. And we should rightly fear missing out on seeing all of God's truth. This came out on Sunday also. We should rightly fear missing out on seeing all of God's truth, even in these difficult lessons that we sometimes get. That would be a healthy fear. But the point is, all your pastor can do is lead you to good pastures. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Drinking the word is ours to do. Whether we drink or not is totally up to us. Or whether we take a sip and spit it out, totally up to us. Will we choose to be a good disciple? That's the question. It's our responsibility to seek God diligently. And that's where free will comes in. We'll close it there, and we'll continue more on Thursday. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for your word and your spirit challenging us. We ask that you help us receive it rightly in humility and that we show up with an attitude of eagerness. We thank you, Father, for all your instruction. Even if it's hard at times, we thank you for that. We know what you're trying to do because you love us so much and you want us to be equipped to be good sons and daughters and soldiers of Jesus Christ to bring you glory even in front of the angels. Father, we ask that you help us put on this right attitude. We ask also that you help us bring the good news out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your Spirit we pray. Amen.